Welcome to ACE Audio, the podcast that supports, educates, informs, and motivates manual therapists around the world. Hey everyone, thank you for joining us today on the podcast. My name is Sean Brewster, once again with you here today. Today's topic is around dry needling. Another very popular topic of ours that we often discuss on the on the podcast, and I thought I'd dive into it again today with a particular focus that I'm hoping a lot of dry needling practitioners will get a lot of use out of. Now, there's a bit of a desired, uh, divided opinion, I should say, amongst dry needlers about the type of stimulation that you should apply while when using this modality. Some people take a less is more, and some people take a more is more approach to dry needling. A less, or more, less is more approach might be inserting the needles into the affected area of, of the body and then just leaving them sit there and letting them do their thing, as we often say. I'm going to leave these needles in and let them do their thing. But what is that thing that they're doing? And so we're going to discuss some of these concepts today. Another approach might be a more aggressive approach or a more is more approach where they would put the needles in and do lots of stimulation, lots of pecking, lots of pistoning, a lot of moving of the needles to produce the desired effect. My personal opinion is based on what I believe is happening in the physiology when the needle's inserted. So if we look at the approach of low stimulation, low dosage when the needle is inserted, what we're trying to do there is try to not overstimulate the person. If we look at a situation where we're doing lots of stimulation, the idea is to stimulation that we get the desired effect. Of course, it's a little bit like the Goldilocks. You can have too much or too little of something. When we think about the effects of dry needling, we have to consider where those effects are being produced. Where are they where are the outcomes being achieved in the, in the process of the needle being inserted and the, the patient feeling the results? And I like to think of it as three different levels, one being the tissue level, one being the spinal level, and one being the brain level. When the needle in, is inserted, we've, it's been shown in the, in the research that we get an increase in circulation in the tissue. Now, part of this can be traced back to the microtrauma that's happening from the needle as it passes through the tissue, a local, even, even, even though it's a small inflammatory effect, we get an inflammatory effect and we get an increase in circulation to the tissue. And as a result of that circulation, we get a change in the biochemical makeup of the trigger point, of the taut band, of the, the tissue uh, environment. And as a result, we can get less nociception from that. So there's definitely a mechanical-induced tissue-based effect that is a result of circulation happening at the tissue. At the level of the, of the trigger point or the taut band that we're targeting with the needle, we also get some stimulation of different types of mechanoreceptors, sensory receptors that perceive specific types of contact, pressure, and so on. Those mechanoreceptors are stimulated by the needle and the pressure applied by the needle, and it sends information back up uh, the sensory pathways to the spinal cord. And then at the spinal cord, that information is interpreted and we get a result. We get a result out the ventral part of the spinal cord down producing a motor effect. We might get a reduction in muscle tone or an increase in muscle tone, depending on the type of stimulation we apply. But it's a spinal cord mediated response. Also happening at the spinal cord is the gate control idea or the gate control theory, where we get a stimulation via a particular type of sensory nerve that gates the in the input from the nociceptors or the pain receptors at that particular area of the tissue. And so we get a closing of the gate and we get less nociception, less, less uh, potential for pain as a result of that taut band, that trigger point, whatever it might be. So we have a tissue-based effect, we have a spinal cord-based effect, and we also get some of that stimulation passing up the spinal cord to the brain, to the somatosensory cortex, 
where our brain perceives something going on at the area where the needle's been inserted or where the pathology or the, where the lesion is. And then we get descending inhibitory control being sent back down, where we get impulses being passed back down the spinal cord to that level of the spinal cord where, uh, sorry, passed back down the spinal cord to the level of the spinal cord where the information is coming in via those sensory nerves once again. And we get a release of endogenous opioids. And those endogenous opioids can dampen the nociceptive effect once again. So we're getting changes at the tissue. I'm going to highlight these points once again. Changes at the tissue, which can reduce uh, pain information or nociception being uh, received via chemical stimulation at the tissue. We get effects at the spinal cord, which can be both motor relating to ventral outflow and, and motor control. It can also be a, a gating of the pain at the spinal cord as a result of a, a preferred input coming from the stimulation of the needle. And then we can also get descending inhibitory pathway being activated from the higher brain centers down back to that same level of the spinal cord, which then can also reduce the pain experience for the person. And so then we have to ask the question, then what kind of stimulation and how much is appropriate to achieve all of that? Well, if we take the more is more approach, then at a certain point, too much stimulation can become noxious in itself. You can overstimulate that person. Too much mechanical uh, penetration of the tissue might cause uh, an increase in inflammatory markers in the tissue and increase the circulation of the beneficial. It just starts to um, swelling and pressure and more discomfort at that level of the tissue as well. But if we would leave the needle in situ, basically just leave it sitting there, when the needle's inserted, we often feel a bit of a sting, a bit of a dull ache uh, eventually, and then nothing. It just kind of fades away. And so if we're, letting, if we're inserting a needle and letting it do its thing in the tissue, it may be only doing its thing while it's receiving some sensory information. After we get the mechanical stimulation of the tissue, that microtrauma at the site of the tissue that we're targeting with the needle, everything that happens after that is a result of the nervous system, not the mechanical trauma anymore, unless we keep moving the needle. But we just said, if we keep moving the needle too much, then too much can become a bit of a problem. So it's, it's a real fine balancing act, isn't it? When you think about it, I want to affect the tissue, I want to affect the spinal cord, and I want to have effects at the brain, which then are mediated back down to the spinal cord level so that we can have a change in sensation. So the stimulation needs to be relatively constant. Now, that doesn't mean keep on moving that needle, but you need to... The patient needs to experience some sensation from that needle. And then as that abates, as it starts to drop away, we then might return and provide a little more stimulus to, again, kickstart that process of either gating the, the pain, uh, the, the pathway of the descending inhibitory control, or maybe even a little bit more stimulation at the tissue level. So we have to ask ourselves a question, what are we trying to achieve? Is it just a mechanical effect? Well, then we can go helpful leather with the needle and, and cause all sorts of microtrauma and we get that mechanical effect. But at a certain point, there'll be too much. If we leave the needle in situ and don't do anything, at a certain point, the effect, the therapeutic effect of that dosage or that application starts to disappear. So where do we start? Where do we stop? Well, we have to ask ourselves, what kind of patient have we got on the table in front of us? Are they a low dosage patient, a moderate dosage patient, or a high dosage patient? Do I need to give this person a little less stimulation, enough, and over a long enough period of time to get the effect I want, but less? Or maybe it's a high dosage patient who can tolerate greater degree of stimulation, who isn't in a really sensitized state and can maybe withstand a little bit more mechanical pressure and, and even microtrauma as a result of that needling, in which case we can do some of more of our aggressive type techniques like piston, pegging, winding, and so on. 
So it is a bit of a balancing act. We have to consider the patient. And at least in my belief, we should consider what are the mechanisms we're trying to achieve, those three different layers within the body, those three different mechanisms of effect, providing the appropriate stimulation that each one of those are being affected, are being, um, are being perpetuated by the use of the needle, and maybe consider maybe using less of this passive approach because after the needle's inserted, if the patient can't feel anything, there's a pretty good chance it's not doing anything. Anyway, something to consider with regard to your dry needling applications.